Amen. Amen. All right, let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we'll have the text up on the screens behind me in just a little bit. We also have some physical Bibles scattered around the room, little racks underneath the seats. Um, we bought some new Bibles. I thought that they were going to be large print because I heard some complaints the last time. Um, that's not true. I heard a lot of complaints. Um, <laughs> turns out they sent us not large print. They're the regular size. They're exactly like the other ones, just a blue cover. Um, I don't know if i got to send them back or... They'll send us more, or I just messed up in the order. I don't know, we'll figure it out. But we have a bunch of new Bibles, and so there's more now than what we've had. So they're scattered a little fuller than they used to be. There's still not one in every seat, but hey, uh, we got some Bibles now. All right, so uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, text on the screen, physical Bibles right there. If you don't own a Bible, we would absolutely be blessed, honored, if you would take that one home and call it your own. Uh, we value God's Word here. We believe it has the ability to convict us of sin and draw us to repentance. We believe it's the tool that God uses to, to shape us individually and as a body called the church. We believe it's the primary means by which God makes himself known to us. And so if you want to know God, the best place to find him is in the Bible. So start reading one. If you don't have one, take that one. All right. So Ephesians chapter 6. Um, so we have been walking through Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus for several months now. We've been calling our series To the Saints because that's who Paul addresses the letter to in chapter 1, verse 1, to the saints who are in Ephesus. And so for Paul, a saint isn't a special venerated class of people. It's, it's a believer. Right? The word saint literally means the called out ones, the, the ones who have been declared holy. And in the Bible, you're declared holy when you... Trust Jesus for salvation. He gives you his righteousness. And, there, and if you have Jesus' righteousness, there's no more righteousness that you need. Right? You're holy in that moment. right? And so it's not this special venerated class. It's normal, everyday followers of Jesus who know Jesus, love Jesus, follow Jesus. All right? And so Paul writes a letter to the saints, the church, a collection of believers in the city of Ephesus. And Ephesus in the first century was a big deal. It was a port city in Asia Minor, what's now modern-day Turkey. All right? And it was a massive hub for economics. It was a massive hub for culture. It was a massive hub for religion. The Temple of Artemis was there, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. All right? And so Ephesus was a boom town of sorts. And Paul writes a letter to that church. The reason why he writes a letter to them is pretty simple. He loves that church. He used to be a part of that church. He was once the pastor of that church. In Acts 19, we're told the story that Paul travels to Ephesus finds a couple of people who kind of know some spiritual stuff but don't really know what it is they're worshiping. And so he talks to them about Jesus and, and they end up planting a church there. And so Paul is the, pretty much the first pastor of the church at Ephesus. But then in Acts 19, we're told the story about how lots of people are coming to know Jesus and, and it's really starting to affect the, the, the dynamics of the city. And because the city is built around the, the temple of Artemis and the silversmith guild that, that makes silver statues of, of, of the Greek and Roman gods. And, and so a major portion of this town circles around the, the worship of false gods. But because all these people are starting to come to know Jesus, uh, it causes a little bit of havoc. And, and so in Acts 19, we're told the story of a riot that started. All right? And Paul is eventually chased out of town by the worship of, of Artemis. Right? And so uh, in, in Acts 19, we get the picture of a Paul who doesn't want to leave, but is run out of town. And several years later, he writes a letter back to them with a pastoral heart with an understanding of the city, with an understanding of the dynamics of the politics and the culture and whatever. And he calls them to walk faithfully in an incredibly strategic place. And so in the first half of the letter, in the first half of the letter, Paul casts gigantic understanding of who God is and what God is doing. He talks about 
the eternal good creator king. We're not talking about a cute little be kind to everyone spirit here. We're talking eternal God whose plan is from before the foundation of the world is the language that Paul uses. Forget about Artemis, small town fair compared to Yahweh. And so Paul unfolds for them who this God is and what this God is doing. His plan is good. His plan is flawless. And if you remember all the way back in, June, in July, in week one, we said his plan was unthwartable. No one gets to mess with God's plan. The word we used several months ago, back in chapter one, the true God is bringing about his purposes in the world according to the counsel of his own will. But the good news for us is because not only is this God successful in everything he promises and faithful in everything he promises, but he's also eternally good. And so we can trust his plan regardless of what we see around us, right? So y'all ready to close out the book of Ephesians today? Some of you are more than ready. Started this in July. Welcome to March. Verse 10, finally, and he means it, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against um, flesh, or, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, excuse me, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Okay, so in the first three chapters of this letter, Paul is going cosmic. All right? He talks about the eternal God who's working from before eternity past. And his plan is from before the foundation of the world. Right? He's talking overarching umbrella statements, earth-shaking truth after earth-shaking truth after earth-shaking truth. All right? So he is painting a picture of a cosmic reality that is far bigger than us. And he, and he walks through that for the first three chapters of this letter. And then in chapter 4, I know we've been in it since October. All right? In chapter 4, he begins to go practical. Right? He, he begins to unpack, uh, this is how you live in light of these earth-shaking, eternity-shaking realities. Right? And so he drills down real deep into super practical, everyday kind of stuff. And he's been in the practical for two and a half chapters. And, and I know it's been a few months, but we've been talking practical for a long, long time. But now, now he's about to close out the letter by talking cosmic again. He's back to stuff that's way bigger than us. After loads of practical stuff to help us walk deeply with Jesus, he says, oh, by the way, don't forget that there's a spiritual reality to all this. We're not simply fighting against flesh and blood here. He says, don't get distracted by just what you see on the surface. He says that there are rulers and authorities and cosmic powers over this present darkness. See, to, while the gospel has incredibly practical implications for us individually and as a body of believers, to see this as only practical, well, that'll get you in trouble pretty quickly because you're in over your head here. Now, Christians are sometimes all over the place when it comes to what they believe about angels and demons and things like that. Um, 
And to be honest, there's, there's some wiggle room. There's some room for debate in the Bible when it comes to what exactly is going on here and what exactly is going on there. What do we believe? What don't we believe? There's, there's room for some healthy disagreement, according to the Bible. But sadly, I, I think honestly, um, a lot of times, Christians are all over the place in understanding on this because we allow things other than the Bible to inform our opinions on it. Does that make sense? Anybody, anybody pull theology from Facebook once in a while? <laughs> Can you just be honest? That is literally the worst place to pull theology from. Read a book. Right? Read the Bible, right? right so now, I, think we, I think we pull all these other things into the discussion and we honestly just ignore the Bible most of the time on this stuff. For some people, some people they carry around a hyper-dualistic, new age, spirit-based kind of idea where angels and demons are constantly battling over your cell phone signal and your flat tire. Don't lie. For others, it's a more logical, reason-based thing where they write off spiritual realities as complete ludite ideas altogether, right? The fact is that neither one of those are actually looking at what the Bible says. Paul says, don't forget that there, is a re- there really is a spiritual layer to all this. There really is a present darkness in this world, he calls it. There really are spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. But it's important to note here, Paul is not on the fence about how this is all going to play out, is he? Is he does he seem worried to you? Paul is not on the edges of his seat hoping that God will pull out the victory. He's not sweating over who's going to win and who's going to walk away with the championship belt. This contest is already over before it starts. So we've got to stay out of two ruts. The first one is this. Denying the reality of the spiritual realm is completely unbiblical completely unbiblical. We're not just talking about surface level stuff. It's a blind arrogance that believes that you are the master of your own domain. It will go poorly for you. But the second rut is thinking that God has somehow met his match in this. Think God's sweating anything? God is not stressing over keeping all the plates spinning. And to think otherwise denies his character. He's bigger than this, isn't he? So what does Paul do here? Well, he encourages us to be strong in the Lord, right? He encourages us to stand firm. He tells us to put on armor. Doesn't he? Look at verse 13 again. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. 14. Um, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Okay, so Paul lists out all these pieces of armor here. And in case you haven't made the connection, he's not talking about literal armor. He's, he's painting a picture of something, right? A picture of the things that, that a follower of Jesus needs in order to stand firm when the spiritual realities of this world rear their ugly head. He's painting a picture of, of how we are to equip ourselves when we find ourselves in the situation that we're going to eventually find ourselves in, that there's a spiritual reality to something. And listen, while a lot of words have been spent by others drawing out meaning for what each of these things are and how they're used and, and, and this and that. Listen, I think some of that is probably good. 
I don't think enough time has been spent, though, talking about who all these pieces of armor come from. Like, we could, we could spend hours, weeks, like, many of y'all have sat under sermons before, maybe y'all sat under a Bible study or two or 12 about what each of these things, what exactly is the helmet of salvation, what exactly is the sword of the Spirit, and what exactly is the belt mean, and we're... I think the best question we can answer, the absolute best question we can answer is, where do each of these pieces of armor come from? Who do they actually belong to? I mean, you just want to walk through the list here? Paul says, fasten on the belt of truth. So where does truth, who does truth belong to? Is it your truth? Hope not. We don't, we don't create truth. We bear witness to the truth. We, we do our best to stay faithful to the truth. I'm not creating truth. There's no. He says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. For those who are followers of Jesus, where does our righteousness come from? We're not righteous in and of ourselves. We're given Jesus' righteousness, right? I rest in Jesus' righteousness. He says, put on shoes of gospel readiness. Whose gospel are we talking about? Who sends us to proclaim said gospel? The good news, the gospel is good news of Jesus' victory over Satan, sin, and death, right? We're not proclaiming our own victory here. We're proclaiming his victory. What's next? He says, the shield of faith. Right, I've got to unpack this one for a second. We talked about this uh, several months back. Um, but I, I, I'm of the opinion... Maybe alone, but I'm of the opinion that faith is the most misunderstood concept in churches today. All right, um, if you're interested, uh, back in the spring, I think, uh, we were doing our On the Same Page series. We spent a whole week talking about the concept of faith. All right? and so if you're really interested, go back and check out our podcast, all that kind of thing. Um, but here's the deal. Faith is a synonym for trust. Like, it's, it's a synonym for confidence, which means it's not the amount of your faith that does anything. It's who you have faith in, right? Uh, that's, that's why Jesus can say things like, even if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move the mountain, right? It's because your faith is not the thing doing the work in that moment. Who's doing the work in that moment? Jesus is doing the work in that moment. We have faith because we place our trust in he who is faithful, all right? And so the shield of faith that Paul is talking about here is a pretty terrible shield if it's dependent upon the amount and strength of your faith. Good luck. But it's not dependent on your faith. It's dependent upon the goodness and character and strength of God. I have a little more confidence in that shield, don't you? It's not your shield, it's his shield and he delights to give it to you. What's next? Helmet of salvation. Who purchases and secures our salvation? Not you. <laughs> You're not securing yourself, right? Oh, Lord, help us if that were true. Like, think about that for a second. Have you really kind of weighed through the idea of what it means for you to be hanging on to your salvation? I can't make it out the door in the morning without figuring out how much of a wreck I am. There's a reason there's a Band-Aid on my thumb right now, right? <laughs> I'm, I am a klutz, I am a moron, 
And that's with the little stuff. If hanging on to my salvation was up to me, I would have lost it already. Right? Anybody feeling more confident than me? Thanks be to God, it's in his hands instead of mine. It is good news for all of us that salvation belongs to the Lord and not Stephen. And I know we've gotten the point by now, but we have one more. Paul says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So who empowers the Word? Who applies it to people's hearts? See, I... Whether you think I'm a good preacher or a terrible one, doesn't matter. <laughs> I, can't, I can't make God's word do anything more than what God wants to do with it. And I can't even rob it of what God wants to do with it. It's his. My job is to read it, hopefully explain it, and get out of the way, right? So follow me here. The reason we can stand against the schemes of the devil that Paul is talking about in chapter 6 It's not because you're resolute. It's not because I'm strong. It's not because we're faithful. It's not because we know how to handle the armor well. It's because our God is good. And he equips those whom he loves. And he goes before us. He carries us through. He equips us for what we need and he covers over us and walks with us through that fight. So puff up your chest all you want, soldier, but if this is left to us, we're in trouble. I don't have a, sh- I don't have a shot. This isn't just flesh and blood we're talking about here. Right? Look at verse 17. Paul's going to carry on here. Flesh this out some more. It says, And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, comma, so he's not done talking. Verse 18, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So Paul calls us to pray at all times. He says prayer and supplication. Supplication is this, is, it's, I think it's kind of sad, but it's become this antiquated churchy word. I, it, it, supplication just means to supply. That's the root word, right? And so it's to ask for your provisions. It's to ask for what you need, right? And so Paul says, hey, ask God for uh, the things that you need. He says, pray for yourself. He says, pray for the saints. And so again, he's not talking about a venerated class. He's talking about your brothers and sisters in Christ. And then he says, pray for me. Pray for me. What does he ask, what does he ask the church in Ephesus to pray for him for? To give him the words. So follow me here. The Apostle Paul, the greatest theologian church planter missionary in the early church probably ever. The guy who is known for writing about half of the New Testament, if you just count 
you know, actual letters. Right? Uh, it, the guy who is, is known for preaching powerfully. Like, this is the guy who's preaching in the synagogues and he's preaching in the, the Arabic, Arabicus, the, the Greek kind of think tank where they go and debate stuff, right? This guy is, is preaching uh, as, as a celebrated preacher. He's preaching the gospel as a man on the run, right? Some of these letters are written from literal jail cells. He's a guy who is sharing the gospel faithfully in Philippi and in Rome. Uh, like one time he's preaching the gospel, just happened to be preaching the gospel on an island that he got shipwrecked on. Snake bites him, he keeps preaching. Like Paul is the gospel preacher that you get to point to in the Bible. And still, still Paul goes, hey, could you pray for me because I need help here. Would you pray that God would give me boldness to proclaim the mystery of the gospel? There's one time where, where Paul's preaching. And they get really mad at him. And they decide to stone him. And they start throwing rocks at him, right? Because that's what stoning is, if you didn't know. Maybe you don't have a church background. But they're, they're trying to kill him by throwing rocks at him. And they get to a point one time where they think he's dead, so they walk away. Stands up, dusts himself off, and goes back to preaching. That Paul. That Paul. Is asking the church of Ephesus to pray that God would give him boldness to proclaim the gospel. Why? Because he knows that there's more going on here than just the surface level. Paul understands as best as anybody can understand that there is a spiritual reality to this. We are not just battling against flesh and blood here. If we were, if that's all we were doing, Paul would be the guy to have his end covered. Right? If all we had going on here was, was our strength to, to handle our end of the load, Paul would be literally the guy you could count on to handle his end faithfully so we didn't have to worry about his stuff. Let's worry about ours. But Paul understands deeply that there is a spiritual reality to all this. Forget about capacity. Paul's got his beat. Forget about aptitude. Paul's got us beat. Paul understands that there is a spiritual element to his circumstances and even to his own heart that causes him to fail to pull the trigger sometimes. And so he tells the church in Ephesus, would you pray for me? I need help in this. Now if Paul needed people to pray for his obedience and courage to share the gospel faithfully, you think we might need that too? Probably so. So he says, pray for yourself. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray for your leaders. Because this is ultimately bigger than all of us. We need to be equipped beyond our own ability. Look at verse 21. So that you may also know how I am how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that we, he may encourage your hearts. 
Peace be to the brothers in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. So Paul closes out his letter with encouragement. If we remember, it's a letter he wrote to a church he was forced to leave, right? It's a letter he is writing while under house arrest in Rome. So you may be wondering, how in the world are we supposed to be encouraged by that, right? Don't the circumstances seem pretty gloomy? Because the things that were true at the beginning of the letter are still true now. God is still the eternally good and wise creator king. He really is working to complete a plan that he has had from before the foundation of the world. His plan has no competing power to undo it and is therefore unthwartable. And so even though Paul can't get back to Ephesus, God's still in control. Which means that we can rest confidently even when the circumstances around us look a little iffy. We can trust God's goodness and we can trust his care even when we're not sure what's around the next turn. We can walk in the things he has called us to walk in because he has reconciled us to himself and he is faithful to deliver on every single one of his promises. So even as the guy who was beaten as he was run out of town, shipwrecked on his way to Rome and faithfully preaching the gospel in the jail cell, even as that guy can say, I've still got confidence God's doing all this. You think we can have confidence in the things he's called us to? Thanks. We can trust God. Not not because he's practical, although he is. The practical implications of the gospel are good and fruitful and our God is gracious to us and that he's, he's helped us see how the, the, this, this massive thing applies to every second of our existence. Right? That's, that's great and wonderful, but ultimately what we rest in is not the fact that it made sense today. We did pretty good at pulling it off today. What we ultimately rest in is the reality that this eternally good creator king will never meet his match. And even though there are spiritual realities in play, and even though there are things in my world and even my very heart that that cause hiccups in my attempt to, to understand this and walk faithfully in this, that he is forever in control. And he has given me good things to help me walk through. So this armor that he's given me is, it's not mine. But he likes to lend it out. And I'll be okay. I don't know, have y'all liked Ephesians? We finished reading Ephesians today, but we got one more week. We're going to come back next week and do something else. Ephesians isn't over yet. But for today, today, how do we respond to God's word? Well, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you respond by pressing in to God this morning. You do that by taking steps of obedience, 
Listen, maybe you put things on autopilot for a while. And you can't seem to figure out why you keep getting beat up in the sin department. Could it be that there's something more than your own effort on the table here? So we press into God this morning by repenting of that sin, by, by leaning into Him. There's a spiritual reality to this world and to our hearts. And maybe this morning you can take some steps of recognizing what those things are and doing something about them. I don't know. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. We'll have a couple of folks up front here to talk with you and pray with you if that, that's good for you. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, man, I'm glad you're here. I hope you find this to be a safe place to work through the truth claims of Jesus and his gospel. hope this is a place where you can wrestle with who Jesus is and what he calls you to and why that changes everything in your life. You can respond to God this morning, too. You can, you can respond to his word by meeting the God who, who gave it to us, who's bringing all of history to his final Completion and intention and conclusion. He's reconciling a people to himself, and today is a good day to become one of those people. You do that by repenting of your sin and calling on him as Lord. Trust him alone for salvation. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. It's a time for all of us to respond to God's word this morning. Let's do that. God, you're good to us. Thank you for Ephesians. The best book in the Bible. Thank you for being a God who's both cosmic and practical. Thank you for being a God who is working all things according to the counsel of your will and knows every hair on my head. Thank you for being a God who is building a kingdom that I will never fathom the limits of. but it's a kingdom that you have placed in our hearts and invited us into. You are big, you are beautiful, you are good, and you know us personally. God, my own heart wars against spiritual realities. I, I want to believe I've got everything in my control. I, I want to believe that I keep all the plates spinning. I want to believe that, that I've got every, every base covered. And then my world falls apart and I fig, figure out I don't. God, would you help me see how you're moving and working in and around me? Would you help me trust that the things that are bigger than me aren't bigger than you. Would you draw us to yourself this morning? God, for those in here who don't know you, would you open up hearts to know you today? Would you save people this morning? As we sing, would you inhabit the praise of your people and call us to respond to your word? In your name we pray. Amen.